Hi, we're Visible, the wireless company with nothing to hide. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not into you. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen. It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 169. Nice. Brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. As always, joined by the best dog out co-host in the game, Mr. Nine Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Ben! Let's get right into it, because there's a lot to talk about. Usually we do the film review, but there's press conferences from Howie and Doug. There's the NFC East coaching carousel. There's a ton going on. How you doing, brother? We got... We, this, we got this is an important thing we got to talk about here. What what polo is Doug wearing at this presser? <laughs> Who okayed this? <laughs> I get it's end of the year. We don't got to be wearing team branding anymore. He looks like an ice cream man. Poor showing because of that for Doug, or do you think he acquitted himself well? Here's the issue. He pulls it off. How does he pull this off? Nobody should be able to pull this off. Weird pastel stripe situation. Again, he looks like he's about to sell me like Boston Market. Crushing it. Baskin Robbins. Dunkin' Donuts. Something. Doug is cool, man. It looks great. Doug always looks great. Every time I look at Doug's hair, I'm always like, that's not a good hairstyle. And then I I think about it more. I'm like, it's the best hairstyle in the world. Why is he so (laughs) handsome? But anyway, Peterson rocking the pastel orange polo. Not even orange. Salmon. I've got respect for it. It's gumption. You got chutzpah. Young man's got moxie. I could never, ever wear it and take myself seriously, but I take Doug seriously, and it speaks to the immense amount of respect I have for this man. That was the most important thing I had to say in this podcast. You can do the rest of it. Do you take it seriously when he talks about the coaching staff, and at first he says that he thinks that Mike Groh and Carson Walsh have done great jobs, Carson Walsh being the wide receiver coach for the uninitiated. I'm sure he's a well-known name around Philly by now for good reasons that we're about to talk about. Says they did a great job and then kind of later on in the presser dials back on it and says like we're evaluating. We're in the evaluating well, it phase. It seems to me like he said evaluating staff when he was asked about defensive staff. Yeah. And it seemed to me like on offensive staff, he was like, we're good. I don't know. It was so ambiguous. And obviously, Jim Schwartz talking about the defensive side of the ball. Jim Schwartz has a head coaching interview with the Cleveland Browns. I think it's today as the Browns, you know, have their Powerball contest to win the head coaching job there in Cleveland as they interview literally everyone in the world. But sounding like that Jim Schwartz, as Doug Peterson said, is currently his defensive coordinator. Do you think do you think the words about Grow and Walsh? Like I I'm more I, I figured Grow. Like I think we both figured that Grow would be here if there was someone that were to be let go out of him and Schwartz, we thought it would be Grow. Not surprised at all if he were to stay. Do you really right. think Carson Walsh stays and that it's justified? Well, so this is the issue, right? We we talked about, which is like Run it back. They they can come out with the with a message of like run it back, and it's hard to argue with them. It it's, really is, but at right, the same and, well, time, the thing is like I think it's easy to like point like like line item argue with them. You know, like okay, run it back. But Carson Walsh, come on, he's only been here for a year. He really didn't do anything good. They're not really not attached to him. He doesn't seem like he's a great dude. You know, his 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 availability midseason was awful. Like what you know, like so like line item. You know what I mean? Like yeah, sure, run it back, but like. You know, maybe the Nelson Aguilar decision was a bad decision, right? So you can, like, line out on them. But, like, on the general scope of run it back, 
We never saw this offense look the way it was supposed to look. We never saw it with Deshaun. We never saw it with the field stretcher. And I know that we spent eight weeks on Twitter being like, if your offense falls apart because a 32-year-old gets injured, boy, I'm here to tell you, like the the effect of the field stretcher on an offense cannot be overstated. And the backup field stretcher was Aguilar, and that was the big crash and burn, you know, and and, and, and as Howie appropriately said, you know, hope is not a policy for injury, right? Like, hope, you know, hope is not a strategy for injury, but like, you know, Deshaun was about as key of an injury as you can get, even though you never saw him in the offense long term here with Doug, you can extrapolate from what Deshaun is and from what the Eagles offense has been with and without a field stretcher. That Deshaun was a key injury. So we never saw what it was supposed to look like for the wide receiver room, for the offense. So the fact that they, they talked themselves into run it back is not surprising. I, I think there's there's particular areas in which it's frustrating, but it's not uh I, I wouldn't say it, it it's it's completely like beyond the realm of understanding. Now, Walsh getting guaranteed back in 2020, Gro getting guaranteed back in 2020 is a little bit upsetting because you could have given those guys a large vote of confidence without saying like, you know, he will be back in 2020, which would have given you the room to like watch the coaching tectonic plates shift, which they're like, you know, in terms of positional coaches and coordinators, that's by no means done, even though like, there's only one more open head coaching job, right? Like there's still going to be fires and hires. You could have given yourself the room to add a new person at one of those titles, now you kind of have to make up a senior offensive assistant sort of a thing. You know what I thought was interesting to that point yep. is the fact that Kellen Moore is pretty much confirmed now back with the Dallas Cowboys, which is bad news for the Eagles. But Albert Breer had reported that the Eagles might have interest in Moore. Obviously, Moore's main choice was either go to Washington, coach for the Huskies with his buddy there that's a former Bronco, right. or stay with Dallas. But Breer was saying it was a possibility that the Eagles might be looking at him. So maybe the Eagles were looking at Moore and be like, well, if he's back, then yeah, we're definitely with Grow. I really don't think so. I think they were planning to keep grow all along, but it is an interesting thought to that to that point. When we've talked about the the, the frustrations with the coaching staff from a ten thousand foot perspective, is that the big one? Fifty thousand foot perspective. It's a far. It's, been, it's a far way. <laughs> yeah, from the large view. Yeah, it's like all right. What does Mike Grow do? And the answer is I don't know. Right. He doesn't call the plays. We know that. So what does an offensive coordinator do when he doesn't call the plays? Well, previously Frank Reich and. John Filippo with Philadelphia were big in planning the third down plays scripts and the red zone scripts. Respectively. They both had their specialty, yeah. Right. The Eagles were a solid red zone team and were a good third down offense. Once again, we have not heard, and Mike Groh is a big part of this, right? From my, from my memory. There, there yep. might have been a, a quote about that, but like from what I remember, there's been no like, you know, like Groh and Press Taylor, right? So what is Grow doing? Is he helping coach the wide receivers? Is he helping coach the quarterback? Is he, you know, just oversighting the offense? Is he just Doug's little lackey who goes and fetch coffee? Like, I don't really know. That's not to say Grow is objectively bad, right? He might have his role and do it well. And like, we don't know. And like, we like to take the mickey out of Grow because we're a podcast and we get upset when the Eagles offense is bad because we're Eagles fans. And then we, you know, say the offensive coordinator sucks. But like, at the end of the day, like, we don't really have the job description for grow so it's tough to evaluate his job performance yeah what we do know is this grow was the wide receivers coach here previously he was internally promoted and the eagles offense which was more creative in terms of incorporating spread concepts and 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 cutting edge college ideas under reich and under Filippo, has regressed in that category i can prove to you what i know is that when reich and Filippo left 
And when Grom and Taylor were promoted, this offense moved away from RPO ecology stuff and more towards traditional West Coast stuff. Is that, and then again, is that objectively bad? Not necessarily. But I would say that the RPO stuff was working really well in 2017, and the offense hasn't been as good as it was since we were in 2017. So this is where you, you start to say, what are they bringing to the table in terms of collaborative effort? And then what are they bringing to the, to the table in terms of scheme background and, and influence? And that's where we say, just get different minds in the building so that you can do new and different things. You know, like... I wrote a lot about the screen game uh, before the Seahawks game for Philadelphia. A lot of the screen concepts that that Doug used, he stole from Andy. And, right. and, and Andy Reid had them in Kansas City, and Andy got them in Kansas City because he was taking them from the college game. You need to have outside influences in order to create a diverse and multiple offense that can be effective on things like third down, that can be effective in things like the red zone, where you're able to throw different pitches that are surprising that your opponents haven't seen on film before. So I think that... Grow and Walsh are still here. Okay. I don't think those are great decisions based off the information that I have, particularly Walsh. But if you're able to get new people in the building, remember Schwartz like hired like Matt Burke to be like a senior defensive assistant this past year. If you're able to get minds in the building who will challenge you and who will, who will add to the collaborative effort by installing new ideas, yes, you should be able to see a more diverse offense. And I think that's really what we want from Philadelphia. I think in terms of, of, of play calling, we all have our occasional gripes with Peterson, but I don't think anybody dislikes him as a play caller. I don't I think anybody dislikes the aggressiveness. I think everybody agrees the offense is built in a good way for Carson Wentz to be successful. It's not like anti his skill set or anything like that. They should roll out more, but whatever. Maybe that's what you do. You bring in a guy who's more willing to get Carson out of the pocket, and that was effective for them at the end of the season. So you just hope that there's a constant cycle of new ideas in your offensive coaching staff, and that if you just are simply promoting establishment guys, if you're simply promoting guys who've already been in your West Coast staff doing your West Coast things, you're going to quickly become stale and antiquated, and that's what you should fear. Yeah, I agree. You should be bringing in new minds. Even if you keep grow, you, you need new voices in the building that can't get too comfortable with what they have going on there. And remember, and I'll kind of couch this under the, uh, the, the along with the all 22 film review that I took a look at as we talk about Eagles Seahawks quickly, because remember, we have we have said on this show, you know, we don't like to give Crow credit, but the offensive scheme the past six weeks, it's been really good. Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's been great. There's been no complaints against the Seahawks, Doug called a great game and they had great schemes designed up. And, and that might sound crazy when you see the Eagles scored nine points against the struggling Seattle's defense. But when you look at it and what's on the menu with Josh McCown and the players around him, I don't think it's all that crazy. That fourth and four miss that we talked about in the in the recap show is a great case in point. They got what they want. They schemed Sanders open. There was a throw behind. McCown took full responsibility for the throw in the pro- post-game press conference. Sanders missed the ball that was behind him while trying to accelerate mm-hmm. from a defender. It happens. That's not Doug. And speaking of the post-game pressers and talking about the large game plan here against the Seahawks, if you weren't paying attention to the presser, you might have missed it because it was quick. But you can tell that Doug was really disappointed that they had to scrap most of the plays with motion involved. That was how they were going to beat Seattle's man coverage. And Seattle went with a ton of it from the opening bell. That was going to be a heavy part of the game plan. They had man beaters that they wanted installed. Never really got a chance to fully exploit that. And I think that was one of the more underrated negative fallouts from Wentz going down in this one. Basically, they cooked up a beautiful meal and had to toss the steak, and we're left with just the potatoes and the vegetables is what happened. I have no issues with what Grow has done over the past mm-hmm. four to five weeks. We can argue about why did it take so long to get here because the offense in the middle of the season was stale, it was vanilla, it was horizontal only. I hated it. I hated life. But later on in the season, 
They let the Bronco buck. They get Wentz on the move. So I feel a little bit better about Grow, and that's also why I felt that they would retain Grow. But I agree with you that they need to bring new voices. And I thought Howie Roseman's comment about letting young players play was encouraging because as we yelled about during the season, they let J.J. Ortega-Whiteside sleep for two months on a game-winning drop. I've bickered about with you, Miles Sanders' touches from like week five to week nine. You've got Boston Scott on the practice squad. You've got Greg Ward. You know, he could have made an impact earlier with Mac Hollins receiving significant reps. Nelson Aguilar way underperforming. What did you feel about some other comments made by Roseman? Because I feel like with Roseman, he took a lot of accountability for what went wrong for him in the 2019 offseason. Whether he fixes them or not this upcoming offseason, we'll see. But I was pretty encouraged by what Howie had to say. All right, so there's three main things that I think are in Howie's presser that I was like, really stood out to me. Number one, I know it's a weakness of mine to be attached to my players. Yeah. That sounds like, yes. To me, it reads as like, whoa, because Howie is Mr. Like, everybody is a number. Right. right like that's how he's like presented right like that like you know like, back in 2010 when he took the job it was like you know salary cap guy like hey he's frugal and he's 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 gonna be harsh and it's gonna be whatever analytics guy suddenly gains emotions and it blows your mind right but yeah no, it's like that... the robot learning how to feel this is like wally <laughs> howie roseman is wally is basically what i'm saying <laughs> this stands out to me because i do not think it was an accident that he said that jason peters mm-hmm. alshon jeffrey mm-hmm Malcolm Jenkins. Yep. That that I I don't think that statement was for Howie's sake. Howie's like I wanted to admit this to you guys, like for the press. I think that was for the agents. I think it was for the agents of those three players specifically, which mm. is to say that like yes, your players are good. They're also old, and I don't have that much money. We're gonna have to have a conversation, mm. right? Like it's not gonna be open season. You know what I mean? Like Peter says he wants to be back next year. Like how, brother? Right. Ow. So to me, that read, and it's not like a warning shot across the bow. It's not aggressive, but it's just immediately establishing a tone. And he even said that that the Jenkins comments, he didn't take any personal offense to him. I mean, that's right. which is the exact right way to do this. Like, I know I love Jenkins. Jenkins is the man. No, of course not. That's completely reasonable. And I get it. And like, that's how a player should be. Next question. Uh, yeah, I get to attach my own players, right? And you just like immediately put that like, oh, that's my problem. Right. You know what I mean, whatever, right? But that's a very like good way of I think presenting that in the media. So to me, that was a PR thing, and I liked it a lot. I think that's a necessary thing to say. Does that preclude the Eagles from extending Jenkins? No. Does that preclude them from retaining Alshon Jeffrey, a player who people want them to cut, despite the fact that cap-wise, it really doesn't make a lot of sense to cut him? No. Like, it's very reasonable that all three of them could be back. Even when you talk about uh, Peters not being that great, and Peters wanting to be back, and him being a free agent, whatever. It's just to say that last year, how we doubled down on a lot of existing players and older players brandon graham got the extension malik jackson got the extension uh whatever his name was uh so alston got the extension obviously Ertz got uh restructured somebody else was relatively old not brad I'm, i can't remember now deshaun i think i already said anyway he gave some 30 plusers an extension mm-hmm. now a lot of now uh, uh, whenever you talk about the eagles extensions you always have to put it in the framework of when could this guy have been cut versus when now could he have been cut? Because like yeah. when Alshon got the extension, people were like, Alshon got a three-year deal. Alshon got one more year. Right. <laughs> and then the rest of it is just prorating money. It's just the way of how he making sure that next year's cap is what takes on the money and 2020, 2022's cap takes on the money in 2023, so on and so forth. So it, it's a lot of it's just cap structure, but like 
it still were, is worth saying, like, you know, he guaranteed money for a lot of a- aging players. The Eagles dealt with a ton of injury. They made it to the playoffs. They didn't get past the first round. It was, in general, a disappointing season relative to preseason expectations. You're still going to have a lot of those money, those figures on the books for 2020. I'm looking at Alshon's 2020 cap figure right now. It's a $15.7 million cap hit with $26 million in dead cap. They can't cut him. Can't. <laughs> they, they guaranteed a ton of money onto his 2020 year. He's going to be here. You know what I mean, so this is the this is the deal you sign a little bit. I I hate it because I, I don't think he's the locker room guy that they need right now, and I hated it at the time when it said, "Well, now we're locked into this." Also, Jeffrey's been injury prone, and I also don't think he's the locker room guy that they need right now. But I mean, I agree, it's very re- prohibitive to cut him because of the money, which puts you in a real pickle. I didn't hate the Alshon extension at the time. I still don't hate it. I, I don't. Alshon- I didn't, no, no, no. I don't hate the extension. I like the extension. I didn't like the restructure. That made it harder to get out of. Okay, then I didn't. I didn't hate the restructure. Okay, I didn't. He was thirty. He was your highest volume wide receiver, and he's still good when he's slow. Like there are some receivers who need to be fast to be good. Alshon is not one of them because he's big boy and he's strong boy. Do you think his injury prone problems are going to get better as he gets older? I mean, they obviously haven't. No, but I think right now, if you're Philadelphia. There's nobody that you have signed this in the past two years who has not gotten hurt at least once. So, like, your problem in terms of injury is not, like, like, people, like, like the Eagles are signing all these old guys and they're all getting injured. Yes, sure, but, like, so are the young ones. You have a medical staff problem. Okay. What about the locker room? Because do you think Alshon is the guy that talked to Josina Anderson last year and this year? Because I do, and I think that's where my big issue comes from. If I had that information, which I don't. I'm assuming the rest of the locker room does. Mm-hmm. And then if I treat him differently accordingly, then I could get into trouble because Alshon's probably not the only guy who thinks what Alshon thinks. Okay. Like, again, even if I had that info, I'm not sure I would want to act on it because I wouldn't want Alshon to know that I had it. And then I wouldn't want 25% of the pro Nick Foles locker room, which maybe or may not still exist. We don't know. That can't still be a thing, though. I mean, at this point, like we're, we're at the point past that now. Okay, sure, but like whatever this anti Carson Wentz, I don't, we don't get the targets we should get, sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like I, don't, like, I want my receivers to want targets. I don't want them to talk to Justina Anderson about it. But if Alshon thinks he wants more targets, I want him to want more targets. I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I don't have an issue with a guy asking for targets. I have an issue with a guy talking about the reason he came to Philadelphia was to go play for Carson Wentz. Sure. You don't think that's I'm a sure problem to have that in the locker room? His initial, you know, one year, fourteen million dollar deal that. You know, he was told he was going to be wide receiver one, and nobody told him that the Eagles were going to draft a tight end in the second round to play behind Zacharis and primarily be a 12 personnel team, you know? Well, then, I mean, why draft J.J. Ortega-Whiteside if you don't th- think by year two, like, maybe there's a possible out if this guy gets injured again? It's a great question, because that brings me to my number two thing I took away from the Howie Presser. Okay. <laughs> it does not feel like J.J. was a Howie pick. Oh, it <laughs> at doesn't. all. Yeah, he said he did. What, what was the phrasing? Burying, he's not burying his head in the sand about players that were selected. He after said he said they were. He said. said so. You know, we need a jump from JJ next year, and he knows that. And I don't think we've seen the best of JJ, which we've definitely not seen the best of JJ. Right. It's like statistically impossible that we've seen <laughs> the best of JJ. So he says that, and then it's like okay, and then it's he says um we don't have a understand. We know there were some productive receivers in this class, and then he says there are you know, and then for us. There are three wide receivers drafted in this class who never had more than 40 receptions in a college season. And he's talking about Terry McLaurin, DK Metcalf, and somebody else. Um, Maybe Darius Slayton. I don't know. Either way. Who've never had more than 40 receptions in a college season. 
who turned out to be really good. So we have to look at the way that we look at college mm. production. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything we know about Joe Douglas, it's that Joe Douglas was big on productive college, college players. Right. Joe Douglas comes from the Aussie Newsom tree, and the Aussie Newsom tree says draft from Power 5 programs and draft productive production. players from Power 5 programs. Yep. So what does this say? What does this mean? Number one, if JJ was not... If JJ was primarily a Douglas pick, Howie, Mister, I'm not going to be. I'm too married to my players. Is not JJ's not a Howie player, so he may not have been in the plan from the first place. Lest we forget, the Alshon extension was at the beginning of the 2019 season, so it was after I think a Whiteside was drafted, after Joe Douglas was gone. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. It does not feel mm. as if Howie's big. On the idea of JJ as like the eventual Alshon replacement. You had that argument with BLG where I sided with you saying that there's no way they could have seen enough from Ortega Whiteside, good or bad, to make a long-term decision on Alshon from April to August. There's just, there's no way. Right. It was like week three of the season, September 17th or whatever. And they were like, we're going to restructure Alshon. We're going to keep him here for a while. There's no way they had enough data about Ortega Whiteside. And they... At the end of this year, still don't have enough data that I think I know who he is. They never played it. But, like, why did they never play him? Maybe because the main dude who stood on the table for him is not in the building anymore. And so he's not a player that the current front office and coaching staff are as invested in. So, JJ, who I liked his film coming out. Same. Weird deployment. Weird usage. Yeah. Weird avoiding of snaps. And apparently a weird draft process as well. So he feels like he's on the outs early so like you know a lot of people want to see the eagles draft wide receiver early in this upcoming draft you might say well they just draft the guy in round two they're probably not going to do that well Mm. maybe because it seems like you know there's going to be a different approach which brings us to number three which is roseman said we're looking at a potential shuffling around roseman said that there needs to be a change in um in the front office there's going to be changes in the in the scouting staff Mm. right which we don't know what like so so we had joe douglas gets uh released from vice president of player personnel andrew barry comes in goes to the jets andrew barry was already in they promote weidel right andy weidel who was a joe douglas dude they promote him to uh vp of player personnel which Mm -hmm. is douglas's little job and it it screams like we're gonna try to keep the same structure we're gonna try to Every like all the the Douglas scouts that were brought in, we're gonna try to keep them because they know Weidel and they're gonna work under Weidel and they have the same philosophy as Weidel and that's gonna be good. And we're still gonna try to keep the same way that we had previously. Cool. Well, what are we then changing potentially in the front office? It would be because, the analytics side, right? right? Analytics is Barry gonna get promoted to something else? Are we gonna just move around scouts? What is potentially happening here? Because with Douglas gone, Weidel's now your de facto king of film. But we don't really know anything about Weidel. And in the Weidel, this is the biggest job Weidel's ever had. He's usually just followed Douglas around and been like a Douglas number two, number three right. over over Douglas's last couple of years. So would be interesting to see if the Eagles make a move similar to that which they made when they hired Douglas, which is find a quote-unquote future GM with a film background, bring him into Philadelphia for a couple of years, sell him on the Douglas path. Listen, come here stand next to Harry Roseman for three years in pictures and impressors, learn, you know, quote unquote analytics and cap and whatever, and then go take your GM job in 2022, Mm. right? It's not even nearly out of the realm of possibility that they would continue to add new outside 
uh, evaluators and then personnel guides. And especially, I think you have a, a good ability here with Douglas getting the Jets job to sell it to members of the league as like, this is a launching point for GMs in the future. And very few teams have a roster building process as respected as Philadelphia. Everybody wants to do more things like how he's doing. He's on the cutting edge. I think that there's a chance that they could bring in a name yeah. to be a, another big film guy in the building to, to watch players and to give Roseman counsel on which players actually look good on the film, and which players that don't. So those are the main things I took away from the uh, the the Howie presser. I did want to say, um, I actually saw I just saw a quote when I was looking. Howie Roseman on guaranteeing Alshon Jeffrey's contract for the 2020 season. Paraphrased, this is from BLG. We had a conversation with Alshon before the season. And he took a pay cut in exchange for more guaranteed money. We we're trying to create flexibility going forward. We really value Alshon. We'll be right back. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously, hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right, $25 a month every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. And we are back here on the Kist and Solak Show, episode 169, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. Ben, look, so another thing that Howie said, he talked about the Gennard Avery trade for the 2021 fourth rounder that the Eagles spent on him, saying, look, this was different than the Golden Tate trade. This was more, we need to get this guy in get him into an off-season program with the system, and then we can kind of see what he has. He's a young guy. We like him, but this is this is it's not an immediate impact guy. So a lot of people are asking, why wasn't Avery active against the Seahawks and his lack of snaps and everything like that? I want you to keep in mind, this is a guy that has been through like three different systems, two in Cleveland where they had a position change from him essentially or a big-time role change, and then he comes to Philadelphia, and it's a different system as well. So that's understandable. I think it makes sense that he put it like this way. But we're talking about the future of a premium position, which is pass rusher, edge rushers. So we have to yet again talk about Derek Barnett, and we'll put this under the framework of picking up his fifth-year option, which is a – Decision that they're going to have to make in the offseason a discussion we have to have this offseason anyway. So we talked about going into the Seattle game, the importance of Dwayne Brown being out, which provided Derek Barnett with a huge opportunity to show off his first round talent, according to the Eagles anyway. And let's be honest, many evaluators in and around the NFL at the time, he draws a primo matchup with George Fant from the first third down. He's getting thrown on his face by Fant. Okay, no big deal. It's one play. Next drive, the Travis Homer 12-yard pitch. Barnett sealed off by a wide receiver, David Moore, with no help. Not looking much better. Now, he made some plays in the run game in this game, and I think overall that's where he's been at his best this year. I think he's solid as a run defender. I have no complaints there. But throughout the game, this game, he was a ghost as a pass rusher. He had three pressures on 34 pass rushing snaps per PFF. One of those I know for sure was unblocked quick game stuff where they weren't even trying. We're talking about George Fant here. It does not get a whole lot easier than that. The biggest impact that Derek Barnett had in this game was the roughing the passer penalty. 
And look, I've seen people say he was pushed and tried to hold up and blah, 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 blah. I know Kemsky had said that at first, and then he rolled that back on BGN Radio 101. But it's he, he just he wasn't pushed. He was accelerating anyway. He gets the love tap on the butt from Fant. He's accelerating anyway, and we could talk about the lack of consistency with how they called roughing in this game. Absolutely, I get it. But this was another dumb penalty in a sea of dumb penalties for Barnett, which turns a third and ten into a first and goal from the five. And the very next play, they run right at him, and he's washed out. And speaking of the penalties, he has eight this year, eight penalties. The second most belongs to Timmy Jernigan with four. Everybody else has two or less. He has double the penalties than anybody else on the defensive line because he's a he's a snap jumper and he has some dumb plays after the whistle. Overall, in this game, defense did what they could. Cox was a game wrecker. Nathan Gary had a solid game. Would you believe it? Malcolm Jenkins did his thing. I thought Rodney McLeod had a decent showing. But once again, Derek Barnett was outplayed by Vinnie Curry, who took less snaps. And it's been like that for the entire year. So you can make the case, okay, he's only 23, 24 this summer, sure. He's also played 73 games between college and pro. This is a three-year starter in college, a three-year player, mostly as a starter in the NFL. Age is often linked to experience, but he's got plenty of that. So citing his age also means that there's growing to do from an athletic standpoint, typically anyway. Has Derek Barnett gotten better first step explosion or speed through the arc over the past three years, Ben? You don't get better first step explosion and speed through the arc. That doesn't improve. Okay, exactly. So what about development in his technique? Yeah, every time he hits an inside counter, which I can remember a a paltry handful, everybody in the world wants wants us to know about it. Guess what? If he hit them consistently, if he didn't slap disappear for significant stretches, you wouldn't have to add us because we would be shouting it from a mountaintop about, wow, this guy really figured it out. The light bulb is on. It's bright, but it's not. So you might get flashes of his potential But consistency is a massive issue at a premium position. They cannot survive if they do not have a good pass rush in Philadelphia because we know who the corners are. We have no idea who the corners are going to be next year. Will Barnett ever figure it out? Maybe. Is he guaranteed to be an outlier like Brandon Graham that takes a while but then figures it out? Is that guaranteed? There's no way. And I and I get that they were rewarded with their patience in Brandon Graham, but I, I'm not I don't want to bet on an outlier. I also don't understand why Graham caught so much heat and Barnett has basically been given a pass by this fan base. I mean, I do, right? So big play in the NFC championship game where Minnesota tried to bring a tight end across the formation of block Barnett. He gets the strip sack and all that stuff. That's great. The Super Bowl, the fumble recovery that happened, the fumble recovery happened because Derek Barnett got stonewalled and face planted. And when he got off his butt, the ball bounced right to him. That was Brandon Graham's play. That was not Barnett. But because of those two moments happen, they happen in 2017. He gets a pass. It's ridiculous. And last point, Ben, I'm sorry for rambling, but the only solid case for picking up Barnett's fifth-year option, is that it's understandable to give him more time to see if they can develop him. He's had some injuries, too, to see if they can unlock his potential. He's already under contract for next year. That should tell us exactly where he is going to be going into his fifth year, hopefully, anyway. And that fifth year, the fifth-year option, the money on it, is not guaranteed. So what I'm saying is pick up the option, see if you get improvement from a guy at a premium position. If it does not work out in that fifth year, trade, Cut whatever you have to do in year five to get that money off the books if it doesn't work out, and hopefully you get some sort of return on it. If it does work out, that's great. Low risk, high reward, but you cannot, you cannot 
rely on Barnett next year to be your full-time impact starter at a premium position. There has mm-hmm. to be a backup plan. There has to be an investment of some type, whether that's spending a draft pick or bringing on a proven guy that's a fringe-level starter. You cannot roll with him and wipe your hands and say, we're good here. It would be a huge mistake. Develops Shreve Miller. So easy. That's uh, that would, yeah. yeah. Shreve Miller, man. Now, so here's the big deal. Fifth-year option. Derek Barnett was drafted in 2017. He played the 2017, 2018, 2019 season. So as Mike said, he's about to go into his fourth contract year. Which is uh, 2020. After which, because he's a first-round pick, his four-year contract will be over, but he'll have a fifth-year option on his contract to pick up. That number is is a one-year deal guaranteed for injury only, and it is uh, calculated by taking the average of the top 10 contracts at the position over one year. The deadline to pick that up is May 3rd mm-hmm. of this year, of 2020. Right. So off of the three years of film, health, development that the Eagles have now, they must choose whether or not to play, to pay Barnett what will certainly be an eight-figure, one-year deal Mm -hmm. in 2021. So again, it's critical to note that deadline is inbound. It is now. We have all the data we're going to have before we make the the decision. Right. I think Derek Barnett has improved as a player. I think Derek Barnett has better hand usage and better rush moves than he did coming out of Tennessee. I think he won as a snap jumper and an outside corner player at Tennessee, made it to the league as you and I thought he would not win as consistently in that way in the league. He is not winning consistently that way in the league, and he's developed new ways to win. This is not dissimilar to what happened to Brandon Graham, as you very well noted, but... A lot of people wanted Brandon Graham gone <laughs> when it was happening to Graham. <laughs> yep. Now, Graham had the advantage slash disadvantage, not sure which one we call it, of bouncing from Jim Johnson to Juan Castillo to Billy Brown to Jim Schwartz. Mm-hmm. And when he was grabbed by Jim Schwartz, he put up five and a half sacks 2016, 9.5 in 2017. Only four in, in, in 2018 and then 8.5 here in 2019. So he's had two of his, uh, his two best seasons have come in the last four years under Schwartz. Barnett, like I said, advantage in terms of the defense coordinator who drafted you is not moving you around positions. He's keeping you in the same spot. That's why you're developing. That's why you're working with you, whatever. Right. It's like the thing I brought up with Avery. He's been in three different systems now and, and right. he's trying to figure this out. Barnett right. has been in the same system. Now, the disadvantage is when we go to explain why you haven't necessarily come on the way we would have expected for a 14th overall pick, we're not able to lean on the fact that you're getting pushed around in different systems the way right. we were with Brandon Graham, right? And you said it correctly. Brandon Graham is not is, is, is as atypical of the players you get. He is so good at pressures. He's so bad at sacks. He was an outside <laughs> linebacker, and now he's a defensive end. He's one of the best interior defensive end rushers by the fact that he's one of the lightest defensive ends. He's a very, very odd player. Yeah. You don't want your players to end up like Brandon Graham. Brandon Graham is confusing and difficult. <laughs> like, he's a very weird player in terms of why he's successful and, and how, how he's found a way to win at the NFL level. So, right. Graham is not the... He's the exception that proves the rule a little bit. Derek Barnett had five sacks in his first year, not starting a single game in rotation. Uh, a lot of them came against back tackles and tight ends, as we saw. He was... Looking to be on a good pace as a starter in 2018, two and a half sacks across the course of six games. He had like a, a like 12 quarterback heads or something like that. And then in, in, in the 14 games that he played this year, he was a fine rusher. He was fine in the stat sheet. 22 quarterback hits, 6.5 sacks. 
he's not as good of a rusher as you'd like to find at the 14th overall pick. And it's tricky because if you go and you look back at that 2017 NFL draft class, it wasn't that good with edge rushers in general, right? Like, Charles like, oh, Harris, like, Taco Charlton were first-round right, exactly. selections. Now, there was a young man named TJ Watt selected after Derek Barnett, but the Eagles were never going to be anywhere near TJ Watt. He right. didn't make sense. He doesn't make sense for what Jimbo likes in his rushers. He doesn't win in the correct way. He's a stand-up, outside linebacker sort of a rusher. Yeah. So, like, you might say, like, oh, the Eagles should have drafted him. Yeah, but really, they, they were never going to realistically do so. But then it's been, like, Solomon Thomas hasn't been great. Tack McKinley's been inconsistent. It's not like there were that many better options. So, like, honestly, okay. You know what I mean? Like, sure, I guess. Like, you know, like like Derek Barnett, in terms of edges that you could have drafted that you needed there, absolutely. Hmm. With that said, <laughs> you could have gotten yourself a Malik Hooker. You could have gotten yourself a Marlon Humphrey, right? You could have gotten yourself a Tredavious White. There were other positions that you needed at this time that had had players available. So I get the response. like, well, they needed an edge and they got Barnett and it was a bad edge class. It turned out to be, yeah, but... Barnett's just not a great value for the 14th overall pick. Now, eventually we move away from that framework and we say, is he going to be worth his second contract? We have to start with, is he worth the fifth year option? Answer is probably no. Now, is he worth it or would you do it? Right. That's the big question. Right. The answer is probably no. But if you don't take it, you risk two things. One, you have to draft another, like you said, young edge early. So now you're conscribing one of your picks to drafting the new round one outside rusher you know brandon graham's not getting any younger we're right. still trying to get something out of josh sweat you know whatever there's plenty of reason to do it not just out from barnett but you're right graham's age plays a factor in that right too, yeah. yeah so so you have to get the young guy and you have to hit on him and then two you risk the grave danger of a player who's been flashy putting it together in year four in and then all of a year. sudden yeah right <laughs> but like, and the thing is like is that out of the realm of possibility no, no. it really isn't it really isn't in terms of the flashes we've seen from Barnett, the health struggles that he had. It's not unreasonable to say, oh, a 16-game season, nine sacks. If he plays well and gets lucky, some quarterbacks will run into him. Like, the, the sacks, are, right. sacks are like that. Sacks There's- are highly, highly, right, situational. But it is to say that, like, Barnett's not bad, and so you don't give him the fifth year, and then he plays well, and now you've got to extend him. <laughs> right. And extend him is going to take more money. It's going to take more years, and, and and you could have potentially staved that off for another year, which isn't that bad of a risk, but it's still a risk that you incur. So I expect him to pick it up. They picked up Aguilar's, and boy, if Barnett hasn't shown more than Aguilar showed over his first three, four years of playing. That's kind of my point, though. They can't, when I say that they can't Nelson Aguilar this, what I mean is, yeah, pick the option up. But going into the season, do not rely on him unless in his fourth year he can show you that he is a reliable full-time starter, period. Otherwise, he's got to get off the books because it's costly. Pick up the option. You have it there. And then if, if if you're not willing to pay him that, you have to be able to cut him before the league year begins, mm-hmm. I guess, is the way that that would work. It's yeah. tricky. I don't think that the locker room would like that. It's a bit disingenuous regardless i mean you're not gonna cut him you're gonna trade him yeah barnett's one of their weirdest contract situations to look at right now i expect them to give him the fifth year i expect them to give him a second deal when it's all said and done but he hasn't been what they drafted at 14 yet and 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 we're gonna keep waiting on that and hope that he continues to be healthy and he continues to develop meanwhile vinnie curry great as a veteran would love to see him back on another year josh sweat good as a rotational player would love to see him back on another year you have depth right now what you don't have is the guy who wins the one-on-one battle consistently. Not with Brandon Graham and not with Derek Barnett either. I agree. Okay. Last thing I want to get to here before we uh, get out of here, Ben, we'll just roll through what happened with the coaching decisions. They did some of this on uh, BGN Radio 101, so check that out. But overall, what we're looking at in the NFC East is 
Washington head coach is Ron Rivera, as we know. The offensive coordinator hire of Scott Turner, the interim offensive coordinator there at Carolina, is one that I got to tell you, I I really like for them. I thought he showed some real creativity and and QB-friendly chops in his short stint so he could help Haskins. Obviously, the success of that unit depends on Haskins, but defensive coordinator is Jack Del Rio. Back in 02, he turned a worst-ranked Panthers defense into a second-ranked one. Then later in 2012, he took the Broncos from 20th to 2nd. So he has a history of producing some quick turnarounds. In Dallas, like we already mentioned, Mike McCarthy is the head coach. Kellen Moore looks like he's going to be back. Defensive coordinator hire is Mike Nolan. Also bringing on Jim Tom Sula to coach defensive line, I think, is a great move for them. I had a lot of respect for Rob Marinelli as a coach and from a talent development standpoint, and Tom Sula is similarly equipped for the job there. Uh, the Giants got stiff-armed by Matt Rule and Mike McCarthy, with Rule taking the job in Carolina on the same day that he was supposed to interview with the New York Giants. So instead, the Giants end up with him. Their head coach is Joe Judge, who I just learned yesterday was, in fact, a real person. He's been the special teams coach for the Patriots and a one-year wide receiver coach. Which You know what's obnoxious? What? I can't make any of the new hires sound sillier by spoonerizing their names. Mike McCarthy is Mike McCarthy. Ron Rivera is Ron Rivera. Joe Judge is Joe Judge. Why would oh, wow. they do this to me? Well, double J, you got double J, double M, and double R. That's so inconsiderate. <laughs> oh, they, they, they know. They know. They sit they there in their offices doing. and they go, all right, we're going to hire new people. But Kiss and Solak are going to make fun of it if we hire like Kevin Stefanski. They're going to be like, oh, oh, oh Stevan Kefanski. And then we're going to look like idiots. Well, that's we do enough of that on our own. Uh, well, with the head coaching job in, in New York. The the only thing I want to say on this, and we're still waiting on this staff to come together, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, as we record this. So I'll kind of hold judgment on that. But one thing I did want to say is that I am very surprised. No, I'm not. I'm not surprised at all that Kansas City offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy was interviewed by the Giants and not hired. And if you can read between the lines on that, I think you know exactly what I'm saying. Ben, what do you think overall of the NSC East coaching carousel? Dallas. McCarthy, I like it. I don't, it's not sexy. It's not splashy. They're not going to go from, you know, this to like Super Bowl next year. Though I guess like this really wasn't that bad. So maybe. Like McCarthy's not like, you know, like, oh, take the league by storm, but he's consistent. He's good. He's reliable. He knows how to develop a quarterback. He's got this big hole. You know, I'm an analytics boy now. So hopefully he goes out there and gets himself some calculators and some computers, some software, as Dave <laughs> Gettleman would say. Um, But I mean, if, if, McCarthy introduces a analytic process to even like in-game decision making. Then you might you're going to see better end-of-game decisions, which were a big issue with him. You might yep. see more play action, which was a big issue with him. Mm-hmm. That'll be significant improvements. And then overall, he's a good coach. He's a good offensive designer. He's a good developer. He's a good dude. Like it for Dallas. Good. Ron Rivera for Washington. My favorite hire of the of the session so far. Yeah, I mean Ron's that franchise makes no sense. Rivera's going to make some sense of it. Uh, Rivera is a guy who is so well respected in the league and he's so been so consistent and so proven to be successful that you don't, I don't think Snyder will short leash him. And that's the one thing you have to watch out for because it's going to take years with Rivera probably. Um, they brought over the, uh, the interim offensive coordinator from Carolina, whose name is Scott escaping Turner. me right now. Who I like Scott Turner, Scott Turner, right. Who is son of Norv. And, I liked what the Panthers did a lot. Me too. On offense from an X's and O's perspective in terms of they move guys around a lot. They go to the pistol. They go to the up backs. You know, they do a lot of creative things. Which I think is a lot of fun. Um, So Washington, not going to be good next year, I don't think, but going to be more interesting and definitely going to be better. And then I think that year two, you could see growth, especially if Haskins is good, which I'm not sold on, but like maybe. 
Joe Judge for the Giants? Sure. I don't know anything about him at Same. all. I know that he Same. once threw an opponent over the bench during a fight on the sideline. Dope. Which That's I cool. respect it. Yeah. As a general rule, like, oh, who the heck is Joe Judge? I don't know. But, like, if I were to hire a dude, if I were in charge of an NFL head coaching search, I would talk to people I respect in the league and be like, who do you like? And then I would bring those guys in. And I would look around the league and I would find people that I like and from a scheme perspective. And I would bring them in. And then I would interview those guys. And those interviews would matter to me a lot. And we don't have access to the interviews. But I think if you think about it and, and how you would go through the process, you would realize that that – the interview is critical. Like the interview is super important and, and, and experiencing it face to face with the guy asking the questions of like, what do you think about fourth downs? What do you think about play action passing? What do you think about running backs? Like, you know, I would want to give him those and, and, and see how he handled the room and see how he handled the questions and see how willing he was to be flexible and whatever. So if judge killed the interview, judge killed the interview. And I won't know that because I wasn't in the interview and we'll see how he does as a head coach. And maybe he killed it. and will be bad. And maybe he killed it. and will be good. But, like, it's tough for me to say, like, he's the special teams coach and the wide receivers coach. What the heck? Well, I have never spoken to the man, so I don't know what he's like. And I'm sure if he's a very impressive dude, I would be in on him being a head coach. I'm very impressionable. I'd be there in five minutes. Let's do it. You know what I mean? So, like, I that, that that's that's my thought on hiring a special teams coach. I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't, I don't think a special teams coach is exactly something that you, that you poo-poo. However, his offensive hire for Daniel Jones is going to be very important. That's why I said I was holding out judgment on that. But I agree with all of that. I think Ron Rivera is a great choice because, you know, they like to talk about culture in Washington when they have no culture. Ron Rivera is a is a great dude that's respected by players around the league and players that have played for him, and that's going to be a big boost for them just from that aspect alone. And I liked his hires, so I, I, I thought. And then Kellen Moore, what a what a hit to the Eagles having Kellen Moore back. I can't believe Dallas even considered a possibility of him leaving. But you know, when you have a head coaching change. Things like that tend to happen. By the way, keep an eye out for Jason Garrett to the New York Giants as the offensive coordinator is is what we're hearing. But we'll see what happens when we, when we talk next. And uh, Ben, that's going to do it for today. Upcoming on uh, BGN, I'm going to be talking with Mark Schofield for the QB Sco Show. We're going to have some special guests. We're going to talk with John Ledyard about the playoffs. We're going to be doing all types of things. Next week, I'm going to bring in Dan Hatman. We're going to talk about some of these coaches cha- coaching changes talk about some of the front office stuff ben was talking about before as well but ben other than that man say goodbye to the gentle listeners thank you as always oh wow um yeah we didn't talk about the eagles seahawks at all nope um <laughs> go birds thank you as always for listening to the kids until i show here on bgn radio we do appreciate you swinging by the pressers the hires in the nfc east a lot of early offseason moves that required discussion so you got it for myself and mike as mike said also the bgn radio main show with gowton and uh not not stolenness big sad kemsky gowton <laughs> and kemsky uh that would be uh, available to you as well if you want to listen to that there's also a lot of pre-offseason talk there we'll continue to get you prepped for the playoffs we'll continue to get you prepped for the draft cycle as we look towards the championship games and the senior bowl in the next upcoming weeks if you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever app you listen to the podcast. He's been Benjamin Solik on Twitter, at Benjamin Solik, that's S-O-L-E-K. I've been Michael Gist on Twitter, at Michael Gist on F-L-S-K-I-S-T. Thank you so much for listening. Well, I have no idea what our next show is. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. G. 
Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.